This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. On today's program, we look at ministries that work with those with same-sex attractions, so listener discretion is advised. In order to offer privacy with our guests, we'll use only their first names. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guests today from Encourage, Suzanne is here with us, and from Courage, Jerry. Now, did you know that our Catholic Church has a ministry specifically for men and women experiencing same-sex attraction who desire support in living a chaste life? Did you know that this ministry began in 1980 in New York City? Did you know that a second ministry for family members was begun by a mom and dad whose son identified as a man with a same-sex attraction and they did not know how to walk this experience with him? Did you know that this support is available in our own diocese? Bishop Parks has fully endorsed this ministry that offers truth and love. So, Suzanne, tell us, what is Encourage? Well, you've already said Encourage is a a support group for families who have family members who experience same-sex attraction. Not only parents, but siblings, other family members, and friends. All people who are affected by gender ideology and need support in living the gospel way of life. And Jerry, you are affiliated with Courage, which is sort of an arm of Encourage. I guess they're just sort of a related organization. Tell us a little bit about Courage. Uh, Courage is an apostolate that offers same-sex attracted individuals support in living their lives according to the gospel and the teachings of the church. We often hear that Christians claim that being a person with a same-sex attraction is sinful that just having the attraction is sinful, but that is not the case, correct? That is correct. Having the orientation is not sinful in itself. Where does it cross into a line of being sinful? The activity itself is considered sinful, but not the orientation. Jerry, as a member of Courage, you originally lived in a lifestyle that was not condoned by church teachings. So what happened in your life? Did the Holy Spirit speak to your heart? Was there an event in your life where you said, I need to get things in line with the teachings of the church? Yeah, I lived as a uh, gay man for 30 years. And then through a series of incidences, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. In one instance in particular, it was very strong. And the overwhelming ask of the Holy Spirit was for chastity. And so I consented to that. And that began my journey into courage and into the spiritual life that I'm in now. How was that at first? Did you hear a sort of voice in your heart? And did you answer with, wait, what? Well, it was uh, not a voice. It was just uh, in the interior of my heart. I knew that God was asking me for that. So yeah, it was pretty stunning at first. It was going to change my entire life and the way I was living. So at first it was pretty stunning and pretty unexpected. But then once I worked into it, God gave me the grace to really you know, obey his commandments more and more. And so as I started to live a faith-filled life, uh, that became much easier. I think that's the beauty of no matter what lifestyle we are living, if it's not what God wants us to live, he draws us closer to him and we want to change how we're living, no matter what lifestyle we're talking about. And that's a really beautiful thing where we're overcoming no matter what our passions, our senses are telling us to do, we're doing God's will instead. Right. And one of my favorite quotes was uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he said that obedience and faith are the two sides of the same coin. And so I've often pondered that because the more obedient I think we become to God, 
uh, the more faith he gives us, and we can become more obedient because of that. So it's a virtual cycle, I think, that leads us upwards and upwards. How do you fight the temptations that we always feel? Is it rosary praying? Do you attend mass? You know, we all have temptations. How do you fight the temptations? Pretty much all of the above. I mean, the rosary every day, mass as often as possible, confession. But a lot of the battle also takes place at courage because as a self-support group, we are always supporting each other in the journey. And that becomes very important to living it. Pope Francis came out and basically said, if you have a family member that has a same-sex attraction, love them as your family member. So tell us what Encourage does when you have that fighting within a family because someone can't accept a child with a same-sex attraction. That's the core of Encourage, I think, right there. One of our basic goals is to love our family members and to love them unconditionally as much as we can as God does. The goals of our apostolate are five, and they, they're similar to the goals of the Courage apostolate. Our first goal is to grow spiritually through reading and prayer and the sacraments. The second is to gain a deeper understanding of the needs and difficulties and challenges experienced by our family members. The third goal is to establish and maintain a healthy and wholesome relationship with our loved ones who experience same-sex attractions. The fourth goal is to assist other family members and friends to reach out with compassion and truth to not reject our loved ones who experience same-sex attraction. And our fifth goal is to witness to our loved ones by our own lives that fulfillment is to be found in Jesus Christ through his body, the church. And so often our loved ones have lost that understanding that their fulfillment can be found in Christ and that the church is a great aid in finding Christ. So hopefully by our witness of our attempt to be faith-filled Christians, we're witness to our family members who are struggling. And then in our encouraged groups, we're witness to each other and support each other in, in recalling that as much as we want to fix our children, we want our family members to be in straight line with God's intentions for sexuality. As much as we want to make that happen, it's not our job. In Encourage, we remind each other that it's God who is working in the lives of our family and that it's our job to love our family members and to support them in their efforts to come closer to God. I've had people come up to me as a deacon and say, you know, Deacon Mike, my son is doing this, my son is doing that, my daughter is doing that. And the person will say to me, and I've been praying to God that they will change. And my response is the same every time. And I think it's appropriate for this as well is God is not going to take away anyone's free will. So it really has to be a personal decision like Jerry made Mm -hmm. to get in line with the teachings of God and his church. Amen. Jerry, as someone who has lived the lifestyle now doing God's will and a regular mass attendee and everything else, have you ever experienced any personal negativity in the pews? I have, but I think we have to understand what's happened in the church in the last five years, five, ten years. And, and so I don't take that kind of unacceptance Uh, Personally, I think it's just misconception about what someone like me is doing in the pews. Are they assuming that you are living an active lifestyle and you shouldn't be in the pews? Well, I think that's some of it. Um, I think they make presumptions based on on whatever, and uh, I think that is something that people think. Suzanne, every time you turn on the news, you look at websites, there is a lot of news, especially in Florida, about issues like this. Does encourage, does courage get involved in any of the political side? 
We do not. Our purpose is to support each other in living the gospel. (laughs) So we're very aware of what's happening in the world around us, and we're affected by it. But the purpose of courage and encourage our support for living the gospel, and many of us are politically active, but the organization is not. There are other people who take care of that, (laughs) who who are working in that role. But you just stay out of the political issues. Yes. There are a lot of organizations that now have connections with pride events, things like that. Does Courage, does Encourage have a stance on pride events? Well, we think of ourselves as same-sex attracted, and we don't use the term for ourselves of gay. That's a label which comes with a lot of preconditions that we don't necessarily accept. And so I don't think that we participate in any way in those pride festivities or pride days because we don't don't see ourselves as part of that community itself. Does either courage or encourage get involved with issues of transgender? The encourage apostolate is more and more being contacted by family members whose children are identifying as the opposite sex. And what do you say to the family members? The same thing we say to family members who are experiencing same-sex attraction and to families who have this in their, involved in their family. We encourage them to love their children and turn them over to God. What do you do with a family that has been invited to a same-sex wedding? I'll speak personally that when my son was intending to be married to another man, he knew that we could not attend because we couldn't celebrate this event. And that we, and because it was certainly not a sacrament, that they were not going to be joined in holy matrimony. And because we knew that, it, that our son was a Catholic and the only way he could celebrate the sacrament was with a woman. He didn't invite us. When his ceremony was taking place, we went to church. We went before the Blessed Sacrament. And, I, and that's my strong recommendation to families who have this come up. If they are invited to a, a same-sex wedding, whether it's their own family members or friends, we encourage them to express their love, to tell their child or their nephew or their cousin how much they love them and want what's best for them and that we will be praying. And then head for the sacrament, head for the blessed sacrament, head for the adoration chapel. And I'm sure some of the responses or reactions that you get are very negative. (laughs) Yeah, broken families, I would imagine. Very broken. Jerry, can you tell us other events in the area where those with same-sex attractions can receive more of the tools to fight those temptation times? Well, we meet twice a month, the second and the fourth Mondays of each month. And so anyone that would like to attend, we would certainly love to have you. And in those meetings, we try to give you the tools in which to carry on spiritually and and do the good fight. There is anonymity involved, right? That's correct. You're not going to broadcast where the meetings are and invite anybody from the public. That is correct. So you really have to start communicating with the members of Courage and Encourage to find out, to build a relationship before you are invited to these meetings. That's correct. And we have uh, goals of Courage And uh, your listeners may be interested in those because that helps explain what the ministry is. And so just briefly, I'll just read those. Number one is to live chaste lives in accordance with the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church on homosexuality. Two is to dedicate our entire lives to Christ through service to others, spiritual reading, prayer, meditation, and the sacraments. Three is to foster a spirit of fellowship 
in which we may share one another's thoughts and experiences and to ensure that no one will have to face the issues of homosexuality alone. Four, to be mindful that chaste friendships are not only possible, but they are encouraged and helpful. And then number five is to live lives that are good examples to others. Jerry, Suzanne, are there any other points that you want to bring out about courage and encourage that people need to hear? I hope people will feel free to contact us through our email or by phone so that we can talk about the issues and introduce them to what courage and encourage can offer. And once we know that people who are contacting our apostolates can receive the help that they need and they are looking for the help that we offer, then we are happy to invite them to our in-person meetings. A wonderful resource for information about courage is the website couragerc.org and be sure to put in the rc couragerc.org if you leave out the rc you can get some weird stuff like you do on the internet and that's the best source for primary information about the apostolate is that how people will also reach your contact info they will find our local contact information there and on the diocese of st petersburg website one thing i'd like to add is that we're not reparative or conversion therapy Just so people know, we're not out to change anybody's orientation. We just want to help people live with that orientation and the teachings of the church. Our guests today have been Jerry from Courage and Suzanne from Encourage. And this is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM's SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today is Ryan Young from Camp Veritas. Ryan, Camp Veritas is one of many Catholic camps around, but you guys are pretty special. Well, truth be told, I've sent family members to your camp. Can you tell us a little bit about Camp Veritas history? Where was it formed, and more importantly, why was it formed? Camp Veritas has been around for 15 years at this point. What happened was, is I was around my parish and watching our youth disappear after confirmation, almost like it's graduation. And I live in the Northeast, grew up in the Northeast, and this is almost commonplace up here. And I I presume that that's pretty common around most of the Catholic uh, sphere. And the question I had was, what is the problem here? Because in the war for souls, right, which is there's nothing more important than a soul, If we're losing that many souls at confirmation, we're losing that war. We're bleeding out. And how do we stop that hole from happening? Kind of observing what was happening in CCD with my own kids and my own upbringing, I realized that when we were learning about Jesus in CCD, we kind of learned about him, almost like he was Abraham Lincoln. And it never got from a historical Jesus to, this is my personal Christ. This is my King of Kings. And to get that kind of meaning of life ingrained in us. In the interim, I attended a Protestant camp on the West Coast called Hume Lake. It's been around for 60 years. I found, you know, with an atmosphere, a pilgrimage-like experience where kids just stop their life and they go away, and they have that moment away and kind of quiet, they can finally learn about Christ and to decide, do they want a personal relationship with Christ or not, in kind of a Protestant sense. And with that, they ultimately have 2,000 kids a week for 10 weeks during the summer. That's 20,000 kids going to Hume Lake in California. And there's a five-year waiting list. And then in the interim, I was also going to events in New York called Youth 2000, which was a highly Eucharistically centered event where the kids would have significant adoration for hours on end in a weekend. And I realized how fast conversions happen 
and how much Eucharistic love happens in that process. And I thought to myself, you know, self, what if we were to meld these two things, right? You know, I, I solicited the church to kind of say, look, I have this great idea. And Cardinal Egan says, great, good luck on your camp. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I have a great idea for your staff. And he goes, no, you can, you got this, right? So I had to like stop and really pray to God because past these experiences, I'm not one who generally works with youth. I work in medicine. And it's one of these things where it's like, am I going to take this on? And I made a deal with God that, look, I'm going to do my absolute best. Why wouldn't you? I mean, if you saw a family member in the hospital on uh, life support, you'd want to do anything you can, right? And the way I'm looking at the church today with that kind of loss of youth, you know, the question is, is what can I do? What's more important than a soul? You know, maybe this is the mission here, and let's not miss out on it. So we started. Started up with picking up a phone call with a lot of cold calls and calling the next person who says, why don't you try this person and that person? And over time, you know, the first camp uh, developed. And since that time, you know, it's grown. So God bless those soccer moms. So you actually started the camp with, what, maybe a couple of dozen youth? Uh, yeah, I had a burning bush moment. I don't think you and I have ever talked about this, but on that first year, I spent a year of every minute I had outside of work, which I was working hard and had young kids. I was going to youth groups, knocking on Catholic school doors, taking vacations off, you know, days off of work to go and talk to priests, go to vicariate meetings, sell the idea. And then the Franciscan friars of the renewal bought on to the idea pretty early and said they had at least come. So it gave it credibility and kids aren't going to Camp Ryan, you know, who the heck's that? And then Bishop Lagonegro locally also kind of signed on and said, what's needed to help? So it got a lot of traction very early as far as from those levels. But talking about it and giving people an idea is different than actual people signing up. So the first year, of course, we don't know what we're doing. We go to rent an old Jewish campground. They run their Jewish program all summer. We just want to rent it for one week. And they'd ask, how much of our staff should we retain? And I said, two churches show up here with the confirmation programs. We'll be over 300 people. Let's retain your whole staff. So I'm optimistic with the amount of advertising we had and the amount of gusto we had, and guess how many kids signed up within the time I had to make a decision on whether we were having it? Not a lot. Twelve, right? I mean, it was embarrassing. This place is the size of a college campus, and I had more staff signed up. I mean, we were going to have one staff member walking behind each kid. It was embarrassing. And so this kind of thing doesn't happen to me terribly often. It is my burning bush moment. And that night, before I had to make the call on whether this is just the end, I went into prayer, and I said, God, I'm sorry. I apologize. I said, I've completely failed. And in my worldly sense, I've never failed that much, right? I said, I tried my absolute best. I don't know what else I could have done. They aren't signing up. And then in my mind, I had the most ridiculous thought I've ever had, even up to this moment, which is tens of thousands of people dropping to their knees in front of the Eucharist. Tens of thousands. And it's from one site to the next, to the next, to the next. It was such a ridiculous thought at that moment. I laughed out loud, like Sarah did when God's like to Abraham, you're going to have kids like the stars. With that, he asked a couple of questions in my mind's eye, which was, you know, Ryan, whose time is it? Well, it's yours, Lord. Well, whose money is it? Well, it's yours, Lord. Well, whose life is it? Well, my life's yours, Lord. Well, then whose camp is it? And I realized in that one moment of the burning bush that my whole idea of success in this matter was number of campers. And that is completely wrong. That's the way to think about it in the world. It is do your absolute best to follow his will, and you already win. The beach is mine, and the rest is his problem. So with that, we started out with 50-something kids. And in that first cohort of 50 kids, we learned how to make a schedule in the future of what they can tolerate and what they can't. 
we had at least five vocations come out of that first 50. That's 10%. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Now priests and nuns. It was a solid first run. And then we've doubled in size every year since that. And now we have five different camps for a week long each in five different areas. They have hundreds of kids coming to each. Each summer we're serving at least 14 to 1,500 kids with another 400 volunteer staff. So the Lord has taken this. He's making it like a boot camp of the soul. And it's just play and pray. It's we go, and again, in that classroom setting after school, when the kids have homework or tests, they're running the CCD, it's like detention. It's not realistic in a way to find him. Well, it's a different story. If they had a pilgrimage experience first, they go and they experience Christ, they want to know him, they fall in love with him, and then the classroom experience is the icing on the cake. They want to go learn more about him. And that's what we offer here between seventh grade and the end of high school. So 12 to 18 year olds, we have that opportunity to go away, to drop the cell phone, no cell phones allowed, to learn how to pray and to be taught by the very best of our faith with daily mass, adoration, confession, praise and worship, testimonies, and all these things. Jesus himself had to hold people's attention. And at the end of the day, people have 45 minutes, whether they're Deacon Mike or me or any human, we have 45 minutes, and after that, we kind of drift off. And so every 45 minutes, I'm convinced Jesus did a miracle. He would heal someone who's blind or walk on water, and they say, okay, we're back. Well, we're not doing that, but we have dodgeball and ropes courses and talent shows and lakes and swimming pools and everything in between, but the kids don't feel like they're in class. They're eating Rice Krispie treats while listening to a testimony outside next to a bonfire, where it's very palatable for them to handle it. The recipe works. And we're coming to South Florida June 11th through the 16th. Can you talk a little bit about Lake Placid Camping Conference Center? Now, is this tent camping? And talk more about the cell phone thing, because I don't know who would freak out more, the kids or the parents. <laughs> Good point. So the conference center is like a resort. Okay, The Protestants know how to do it. It's a Nazarene facility. They've had camps within their own faith forever. And we rent their facility and run our program. So the structure and everything is there. So they have a beautiful lake, they have beautiful fields and rope courses and a big water slide, and there's plenty of entertainment for the kids. And meanwhile, it's definitely not tent camping. Every kid has air-conditioned, it's almost like a long barracks where there's 50 people in a room with each space has dividers. So there's privacy, but it's in a group setting where in the world of church and its oversight with safety and everything else, it's a perfect venue for that. So we have a lot of volunteers that obviously have to run through the background checks and everything of the diocese and our program. So everyone's checked out and well-trained. And then again, kids uh, just go through this great experience. And in regards to cell phones, you're dead right, which is for them, it's a drug. They want that cell phone and to be without it for a few days initially is pretty hard. So they become bright-eyed people again after about two to three days of that dopamine crash. It's amazing what you see at the end of the week uh, where they've survived a whole week without it. They prove they can do it and they almost find that huh, that silence thing isn't so bad. At camp, we have times to go pray quietly in front of the Eucharist or to do morning prayer, and that's optional. And every day, more and more kids show up to morning prayer or evening prayer, and more and more kids are longing for that silence that's so lacking in their lives that it becomes a part of them, something they miss. And when we give them a questionnaire at the end of camp, what's your favorite part of camp? They can write in anything from the dodgeball to the food to the talent show. No, they write in adoration is number one. By and large, not even close. It's amazing how far someone can come. It's not like they have to be church people to go. So we have all sorts of kids coming to the camp. 
And again, they don't even have to come in a group. They can come individually because they meet friends that they'll make for life within one day in their own groups. Do you ever ask the kids upon their arrival how strong their faith is versus at the end of the retreat? Yes and no, because it's so variable and we don't want to embarrass them and they're all coming on a different page. We have the break it down. The 12 to 18-year-olds are split up by gender and age. So they're running around with 12-year-old boys, for instance, or 14-year-old girls, right? They're together the whole time. They'll go to the group kind of stuff like mass or meals or general free time at night. But all during the day and even where they bunk is age and gender related. They all come from radically different backgrounds. So the program's talks, I would say, are more introductory in the world of sacraments, God's mercy and confession and instructional mass, that kind of stuff. At other sites that are larger, we have two sets of talks. We kind of have kids there for the first time and then veterans. And the veterans get more deep into the faith as far as more advanced talk. I could just tell you at the end, every kid's on their knees uh, praying. Every kid is in participating in mass. The parents don't have to fight with them to go and, and get to the sacraments. Because they're in the car ready to go. So it works. Talk a little bit about what happens. These kids leave the camp on fire. Then they have to wait a whole year until the next camp. So how do you keep that fire in them? We've started something called Fearless Ministries in the interim. At least that's in the Northeast. We have a couple of venues where they'll go for a four-day weekend, let's say, at Martin Luther King's, where they have the same kind of camp experience, just very abbreviated and usually more advanced because it's really built for more veteran kids. You know, that is fearless, kind of fills in the gap, but we also encourage all the kids to get involved in their parish life, to become an altar server, a lector, to join the youth group and other things that the church already has. Again, this isn't to replace anything. This is just to get the kids the spark so everything that exists then makes sense and they want it. Tell us a little bit more about Lake Placid. What are the dates, and how about the financial end? If you are a family that wants to send multiple kids, is there any sort of financial assistance? The dates are June 11th through the 16th, which is, I believe, a Sunday through a Friday morning. It is $450, which in the world of a sleepaway experience, you can't buy that. Ultimately, that's the cheapest thing that exists. You're probably spending more at home to feed your teenage boy than to send him to camp. So we're giving you a sale. It's all done because everyone at camp is volunteer. So we're all there for the right reason. We're all there for souls. That's the commodity. Multiples, there isn't a multiple discount, as in multiple kids in the family, because our costs are exactly that. 100% of those costs are costs. So there isn't like, oh, there's this big extra profit that we're making. That's not the case. Now, with that said, no kid's ever been told, no, they can't come to camp. They would uh, let us know if there's a scholarship that's needed, and then we look at each case individually and offer accordingly. So every soul there, for us, is going to get there one way or the other. If there's a will, there's a way, and we make it happen. Ryan, how can people learn more about Camp Veritas? Go to CampVeritas.com, CampVeritas.com, and on there is a three-minute video. If you want to see it for yourself, show it to your teenager. See the video because it's going to tell you a lot more than I can with words. And then if you're a volunteer, please volunteer. If you're a parent of kids, you guys want to do something cool as a family, come as a family. And that doesn't even mean you have to be their chaperone, but you might be around and learn what they're learning or see what they're learning so you can continue it at home. In regards to kids, sometimes as a parent, you just say, this is what we're going to do. And they don't get to choose because a lot of them, their choices in the faith so far have not been great. So sometimes you just got to make that call. And again, just go to the website and uh, sign up. Our guest today has been Ryan Young from Camp Veritas, and this is How We See It.
Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.